we've been in a series for the last five weeks called This Means War, speaking truth to a world that lies. And we've talked about a number of things. We've talked about the war against God himself, the existence of a God. We've talked about the war on truth. We talked about the war on in the institutions of family, government, education, these things. And today, I wanted to close out this series by actually talking about one of the wars on the church, but maybe not exactly as you would expect. See, the truth is, all these things that we've been talking about, as it relates to the war on the people of God, on God himself, all the things I just mentioned, those wars all come from outside of us. They're external factors and forces that move against us. But what did Jesus actually say about the church that he's building? We've talked about this scripture a lot in Matthew 16, 18. He says, I'm going to build my church and the powers of hell will not conquer it or will not prevail against it. So he says that there's nothing outside the church that can ever actually defeat the church. This is why, despite intense persecution throughout history and all over the world, every time things get worse for Christians, the church actually grows because Jesus is building his church. So why should we care if nothing will prevail against it? I think this is the deal. The truth of the matter is, is the only thing that can actually be effective in a war against the church is something that happens inside of all of us. It's actually the conditions of our own heart and our decision to honor God as God. We all want Jesus as Savior. (laughs) That's the good part. He saved us. The question is, do we also want him as Lord. And see, we live here like in a time in, in America where we don't have a king, you know? They just went through a new transition in the monarchy over in England. That's, that's their thing. But we, we don't have that. We don't even have the concept of kingship really in mind. So when we think about Jesus as king, it's almost like we say something, but we don't really know what it means, right? And, and so what happens is it, it makes it a little easy, easier for us to sort of slip and slide through some of these both metaphors and realities that Jesus is both Savior and Lord, that he is both friend and king. And here is what happens. We, we've talked about this a lot. We'll keep talking about it because it happens in us all the time. But we as people are very good at deceiving ourselves and deceiving others. And this is what that can look like. Matthew 15, 8. Jesus says this. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. There's an incongruity that sometimes can happen when we say the right things and sing the right things, but inside of our hearts, it's not the same. It's not congruent. At the end of almost every service at Vintage, we talk about part of the pathway towards salvation is what you confess with your mouth. And there's no doubt that there is power in confession. That is a real thing. What you say, what comes out of your mouth. James talks about it. The power of the tongue, the things that you speak have life on them. That is all true. But it's not just what you confess, but when it's, it's when you confess what you believe that things happen. So when we say, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is who he said he was, that he did what he said he did, and then your life produces fruits of righteousness, all that is what salvation is. But if you just took the confession, but you didn't really believe it, it would never produce 
righteousness in your life. Everybody with me so far? Does this make sense? You know when your kids tell you my room's clean, but they, they're lying through their teeth. You know what I'm saying? It's like you know there's a difference. I don't think you really believe that. You just want me to believe that, right? That's what happens. And Jesus says, hey, this is a problem. When you honor me with your lips, and yet from your heart, you're far from me. Houston, we have a problem. So I want to tell you today that I think the real war, like I said, against the church is the one that's raging inside of our own hearts. And it can come out in a lot of ways, in a lot of ways. There's a lot that I love as a former worship pastor. There's a lot I love about the modern worship movement and the songs that we get to sing. But one of, one of the things that I don't like, that I don't like about the modern worship movement is that it has, I think that it has taught many Christians, maybe not on purpose, Certainly, you know, by osmosis or whatever, but it's taught many Christians that to worship is just to sing. Just to show up and open up your mouth and do the best you can. And all of that's really, really important. All of that's really important. But listen, if you think, if you think that me worshiping God is me showing up on Sunday, opening my mouth, singing a few songs, and then moving on with my life as I desire and I determine, you have not actually worshiped. You have honored with your lips while your heart remains far from God. That is the message of the Bible. Jesus said there's a time that's coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. Worshiping in truth, I believe, is worshiping God in your mind, with your mouth, where your heart follows, and of course your actions back all of that up, and there is a congruency. When the motives of your heart are aligned with what you say, then what you do will demonstrate what is real. Does that make sense? Are you with me? All right, let's keep going. As Christians, I think it's tempting sometimes because we have these sort of really dramatic experiences when we come to know the Lord. Usually the moment of surrender to Jesus is a really big deal for most people. Now, if you had the blessing of being raised in church and you gave your life to Jesus 17 times between the age of three and 18, good, because we, we need to do that all the time. And maybe this isn't quite the same for you, but people who were far from God and lived like hell all they wanted to, and then come to Jesus later in life and say, finally, I surrender all, that can be a big transforming moment in your life. But what happens next is we have the tendency to sort of slip and drift and coast and keep doing the things with our mouth while in our hearts, we kind of go back to just doing what we want. Maybe in a little different way. Maybe not the same things we used to want. Just the new things we want, but still by our own rules. So how do we fight back against this tendency to drift? How do we wage the war inside of us? See, I think Jesus is going to give us an answer. He's going to tell us how to do this. And he knows what we've talked about before as well, which is Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful, who can trust it? So you're going, okay, honor me with your lips, your heart's far from me, but how do I know my heart? Because it's always deceived, Pastor Nate. Didn't you tell us that when you talked about truth? Yes, I did. So how do you know where your heart really is? Here's Jesus' test, and it comes from Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. Here's what he says. For where your treasure is, your heart will also be. Now here's the thing about your treasure and your heart. When you combine these two things, they can be both a thermostat and a thermometer. And here's what I mean. If you want to know what really has captured your heart, look at what you spend your money on. Now, I'm not talking about health insurance and the power and the water bill and the trash company. I'm not talking about the things that you kind of have to do to live. I'm talking about where you spend your money when you want to spend it. That will tell you 
where your heart is. Here's the flip side of that. Here's the flip side of that. If you want your heart to be in something, invest some treasure into it. And I promise you'll start to care about it a little bit more. When you bought your first house, I mean, did you care about that a little bit more than whatever place you were renting before? Of course you did. Yes, the answer is, is not your question. Yes, I did. I cared about it more. It's because you had your own treasure wrapped up in it. So the human heart just follows what we are invested in. So this is great news for us because you can both look and go, all right, I'm invested in X, Y, Z, but I want to be invested in ABC with my heart. Therefore, I'm going to move my money and put it where I want my heart to be. By the way, I've said this before, a free marriage tip for you. Husbands, wives, if your heart starts to drift from your spouse, start spending money on them. I promise your heart will then follow. And theirs will too, by the way. So Jesus is saying this, if you want to honor me, and you want your honor to be honorable, then your honor needs to include your treasure. And so today we're going to talk about honoring God as it relates to your treasure, to your possessions. And before I go any farther, let me just say this. God doesn't need your money, but you do need God in the middle of yours. That's the truth. God doesn't need your money, but you better believe you need him in the middle of your financial situation. You need God's blessing and honoring him with the first fruits of what he blesses you is one of the keys to receiving his blessing. Listen, nothing outside the church can defeat the church, but a, people, a, pe a church full of people who don't honor God actually can have devastating consequences on the church. Now, inevitably, in a message like this, people are going to be like, oh man, here we go. Some of y'all, it's your first time. You're like, I go to church, they talk about money. Here's the, here's the truth. To that, I'll just say this. We launched this church a little over seven months ago. It's the first time we've talked about money. The second thing is, second thing is, Jesus talked more about money and possessions than faith, hope, and love combined. In fact, the only topic he deals with more is the kingdom of God. And I think here's why. Jesus knew that the only thing really at the end of the day that could stand between us and the expansion of God's kingdom is our stuff that we get consumed with. So he had to talk about that right behind the kingdom of God. Because where your treasure is, your heart will be also all these other things follow behind. Seek first the kingdom of God and all of these things will be added unto you. How we interact with money and possessions directly relate to how God can interact with us in building his kingdom. So hear me when I say a few things. First of all, God will always pay for what he orders. He will. When God decides he wants to do something, he will supply for it, period. He will resource his church to expand his kingdom, but he chooses to do it through people. Choose to do it through people. And maybe you're like, well, if God could do anything, why didn't he just like put a money tree at the back of the church property or we don't have church property yet. You're going to help us with that soon. Why didn't he just put a money tree in the pastor's backyard and then he just pay all the church's bills? <laughs> That'd be nice, wouldn't it? That's what you and I would do. That's what you and I would do, wouldn't we? We'd just put a money tree out there. We'd just grow money. We'd just take some money off, pay for it. But God's ways are different than our ways. In fact, Isaiah 55, 8 through 9 says this. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. And my ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So with that understanding, I want to get into for a few moments with you today what God thinks his higher thoughts about the concept of honor. I want to talk about understanding honor. 
You can follow along. You can take notes in the bulletin we gave you or in that app. Number one, honor is essential in our relationships with each other. Hear me. If you don't have honor, you don't have relationship. You have to honor people in order to have meaningful relationships with them. Listen, I love my wife, but I also have to honor my wife if I want to have a good relationship with her. And if I want to have peace in my home, I must insist that my children also honor her. That's very important. All the men should be nodding your heads going, yes, I agree. I must honor my wife to have a good relationship with her. Guess what? Same thing the other direction. Okay, you can say you love someone, but if you say you love someone and you don't honor them, man, you're like all talk, no action. All hat, no cattle. You know what I'm saying? Those, these kinds of things describe people who say they love, but do not give honor. Honor is huge in anything, in any relationship that you have. Therefore, do you think that honoring God matters? Again, not a trick question. God expects us to honor him. And we should desire to do so. In fact, I've come to believe this, that honor is essential in our relationship with God. It's essential in our relationship with others, and it's essential in our relationship with God. And let me show you, just so that you know, how serious God takes honoring him and his ways. In the, in the book of 1 Samuel, we'll get to in just a moment, there's a story about a couple of priests named Hophni and Phinehas. Their father was Eli, and he was the high priest. But Hophni and Phinehas had no respect for God whatsoever. They didn't honor him. They didn't honor his people. They didn't honor his temple, which, by the way, was their job to take care of the temple and of the people. But instead, they mishandled the offerings. These priests, they were supposed to, when people would bring their offering, their sacrifice, the priests were supposed to take the high part of the thigh and the breast from the animal that was being sacrificed. That's it. But Hophni and Phinehas said, no, no, no. We're going to take whatever we want. So every time somebody brought up a new pot, they would just stick their fork, prong fork in there and pull out whatever they want. Whatever they got, they would just eat it. And the Bible says they became fat on the offerings of other people. They took whatever they wanted. And if that wasn't bad enough, then they started sleeping with all the temple maids who were also supposed to take care of the house of God. These men were dishonorable men. The worst part was the high priest, their daddy, Eli, knew about it and did nothing. So, God sends a messenger to Eli one day, and here's what he says. 1 Samuel 2, 29. Why do you scorn my sacrifices and offerings? Why do you give your sons more honor than me? For you and they have become fat from the best offerings of my people Israel. Therefore, the Lord God of Israel says, I promised that your branch of the tribe of Levi would always be my priest. But I will honor those who honor me, and I will despise those who think lightly of me. And the result of being despised by God was pretty devastating. Soon after this, the Israelites would be conquered by the Philistines. Over 30,000 Israelite soldiers would be captured, among them Hophni and Phinehas, both who died. When the word got back to their father Eli of what had happened, Israel's been decimated, and your children, who you love so much, they're dead too. The Bible says he fell backwards in his chair, broke his neck, and died. If that wasn't enough, Phineas had a wife who was pregnant while he was gone. She went into labor, gave birth, but she died. And that boy was named Ichabod, which means the glory has departed. And all of this happened because those who should have been caring about the honor of God did not. So again, remember... Honor is a reflection of your heart. 
God cares about what goes on inside your heart. Now, I don't tell you this story to tell you that this is what's going to happen to you if you dishonor God. We do live in a disposition of grace now. And some things about that are a little different. But let me tell you what's not. God still looks at your heart. He still deserves and even demands your honor. And when you don't give it to him, you withhold his ability to bless you. We'll talk about that more in a few moments. So again, number three, honor is a reflection of your heart. I already pretty much covered this in the intro, so I'm not going to get into it again. But remember, Matthew 15, 8, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. What Jesus is saying is honor is a matter of the heart. If it's all talk, it's not real honor. Honor gets expressed through action, not just through words. But let's keep going. Number four, honor emphasizes stewardship over ownership. Stewardship over ownership. Let me show you how the Bible kind of introduces this idea in the book of Luke. Luke 12, 16 through 21 says this, and he told them this parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. Praise the Lord. I've got an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. So take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night, your life will be demanded from you then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. That's someone who understood the concept of ownership, had no understanding of the concept of stewardship. Stewardship is a responsibility over something that ultimately belongs to someone else. We sing a song sometimes. Should sing it again sometime, Beth. My life is not my own. To you I belong. I give myself, I give myself to you. Right? I give myself away so you can use me. Sing's easy. But God's looking for the action that comes with it. So we're caretakers. It's not my stuff. Even what I have, me, like me, my life, it's not my own. The words of that song are true. And God's asking us to give ourselves away. And this is why Jesus, in telling this story, he emphasizes all of these personal pronouns. That parable is coming from Jesus. So the I, me, my, myself, what I want, all of this, he's trying to make a point saying, if that's how you make decisions, you have missed completely the idea that you and I are stewards of what God, our Father, has given us. But he wants us to see that honor is about recognizing in the end that everything belongs to God. And this is why in this parable, this man became rich, but he was not rich towards God. And why was he not rich towards God? Because in his heart, he did not honor God. The sooner we realize that everything, everything God gives us is his anyway, the sooner we'll have the right perspective on our possessions, on our stuff, on our very lives. Number five, honor without a test is only lip service. Say lip service. By a show of hands, how many of you have ever had someone, perhaps, that you created, <laughs> come to you and tell you something, and you knew it was just lip service? Let me just see your hand. If you haven't, I want you to teach our next parenting class, because that means you did it perfectly. Your children never gave you lip service for anything. 
lip service. Maybe we're not sure when we're giving it. Most of us know when we're getting it. Honor without a test is only lip service. You get that ungrateful kid, right? And they tell you thank you, and then five minutes later, it's except I didn't get the 17 other things that I wanted for my birthday. And you got to deal with that. And you should deal with that because that's a heart that hasn't learned honor and stewardship yet. And it's our job to teach them. Okay, all right, I'm not going to go into a parenting class here right now. But we see this concept of honor and freedom and the ability to choose right in the beginning of the Bible. Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 through 17. But the Lord God warned him and said, you may eat freely of the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Notice where God put the tree, though. You know where God put the tree they weren't supposed to eat? Right in the middle of the garden. (laughs) The thing they weren't supposed to touch was perhaps the most accessible. It's right there in front of Adam. He wanted to see, will Adam honor me with his heart? Or will he just give me lip service? Will Eve, will she honor me? Or will she just give me lip service? Here's the deal. God doesn't want robots to serve him. He wants a relationship with people who have the choice to choose him back. If there's no opportunity to show dishonor, hear me. If there's no opportunity to show dishonor, then there is no opportunity to give real honor. Talk about this sometimes in the concept of love. If you can't choose to not love someone, how could you actually choose to love them? You cannot. Forced love, you go to jail for that. Right? I'm trying to make somebody do something. No, no, no. We have a choice to make. The same is true of honor. What I want you to see is that God will continually test us in the area of our possessions. This is why Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. And this concept is clearly connected to the biblical concept of tithing. So when the Bible talks about bringing the tithe, he's talking about bringing the first 10% of whatever your increase is. And while there's a lot of ways that God can test you and I, in our hearts, this is one of those ways. And I want to show you something, and I'm going to have you actually answer with me out loud, because I want to show you something from God's word about the tithe. If you pay really close attention here, you'll start to notice a pattern. All right, quick question from my Bible scholars in the room, and there's a few. How many plagues were there in Egypt? Which, by the way, were a test of Pharaoh's heart. So you could also say, how many times was Pharaoh's heart tested through the plagues? Anybody know? Ten. I heard ten. Come on. There is ten. There were ten plagues in Egypt. All right, this one's a little easier. How many commandments are there? Ten. All right. How many times did God test Israel in the wilderness? Maybe you're noticing a pattern here. How many times did Jacob have his wages changed on him? Ten. Yeah, probably ten. How many times, how many days, excuse me, did Daniel decide to be tested and not eat the king's food? How many days? Ten. You're right again. Okay. In Matthew 25, there was... Five wise virgins and five foolish virgins. So that means there were 10 virgins who were tested. In Revelation chapter 2, how many days of testing are talked about? You don't really know the answer, but you know the answer because I'm setting you up for it. Okay, and then finally, how many original disciples were there? There were 12. Good job. All right, just making sure y'all are still paying attention. All right, very good. There was not 10 of those. There was 12. There was 12, then there was 11, and then there was 12 again, and that's another story for another time. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. In the Bible, 10 is the number of testing. You with me on that now? 
of all the tens. All right, appreciate the five of y'all that stuck with me all the way through the end with vocalizing that 10. 10 is the number of testing. And this is why it actually matters what you do with the first 10% of the increase that you receive. Here's what I'm gonna suggest to you. What you do with that is a test of whether or not you trust God, whether or not you believe that what you have actually came from him, and ultimately whether or not you honor him. Hear me clearly, hear me clearly. The tithe is not about giving money to the church. It's just not. That's not the point. The point of the tithe is that honoring God starts with what you do with your finances, with your treasure, with your possessions. Number six, honoring God starts with the tithe. And remember, if this is new for you, that word tithe just simply means 10% of your increase. And for most of us, that means 10% of our income. If y'all are still bartering for fruit in your backyard, we can talk about that later, what you should do with all of that. But the tithe is the 10% of your increase. But before I, I, I close, let me share a couple things with you because I, I, like many of you, spent a number of years not really understanding the tithe. And I thought, well, isn't that like an old covenant thing. Isn't that like, like tattoos and don't wear clothes that have different fibers in them and some of these other things that had other purposes. And I thought, well, isn't that an old covenant thing? Here's what I actually discovered when I went to study. It's not so much about the tithe as it is about a principle of firsts, a principle of firsts. And let me show you this both before and after the tithe, how this plays out. Genesis chapter four, verse three through seven. Maybe you've heard this story before and been confused about it. It says this, In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel's offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. And Cain was furious and looked despondent. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you furious? And why do you look despondent? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must rule over that. Anybody ever read that and been confused? Why did God accept Abel's offering but rejected Cain's? Let me show you what I noticed when I really studied this. Put the other slide back up, the first part of this verse. Here's what it says. In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce. And Abel also presented an offering, some of the, say this with me, firstborn of his flock. This right here, I believe, is why God rejected Cain's offering, but accepted Abel's. This was before the law, but there was a principle. There was a principle, and God's saying, the one who comes first and says, Oh, from the very first thing I have that's a blessing, I'm going to come and honor you with it. Whereas Cain said, ah, in the course of time. You know what that means? When I want to, when I get around to it, on my own terms, in my own time, according to what I have decided, Abel's offering was focused on God and Cain's offering was focused on himself. Quickly, another one. How about when Abraham met Melchizedek, someone who many scholars believe was the pre-incarnate Jesus. And this encounter took place 1,000 years before Moses gave the law. And right here, this is what happened. When Abraham encounters Melchizedek in Genesis 14, 19 through 20, it says this, he, speaking of Melchizedek, he blessed him and said, Abraham is blessed by God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high who has handed over your enemies to you. And Abraham gave him a tenth, say tenth, of everything. 
This is before the law of the tithe. It's a principle of firsts. When God blesses me, I'm going to honor and give back. Finally, even Jesus affirms this. In Matthew 23, 23, he's talking to the Pharisees, the same people who honor with their lips and their hearts are far from. And this is, he goes about it a little bit different way. Their issue wasn't the tithe. Their issue was justice and mercy and faithfulness. But he still affirms it. Watch this. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You pay a tenth, that's a tithe, of mint, dill, and cumin. And yet you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These things should be done without neglecting the others. Notice Jesus doesn't say, well, you can stop that tithe stuff, but you need to focus on this now. No, he's putting these things together. And that's because when it comes to the things that affect the disposition of our heart, because God doesn't change, he doesn't change them for us. In closing, let's look at Malachi chapter three, verse six through 12. I'm gonna move through this, teach a few things, and then we'll be done in just a few minutes. Starts by saying this, I, the Lord, do not change. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm actually glad for that. You, you know, you, you have a relationship with people and you're like, man, I thought everything was good. And then all of a sudden something changed. You changed. And maybe they're like, no, you changed. And you can argue about who changed. But something changes and then the relationship is all whack. It's all different. It's not like it used to be. I, for one, and I hope you are, am grateful that the Lord God does not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. How about that? Because he doesn't change, you're not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you. But you ask, how are we to return? They're asking now, how do we make this right? How do we make this right? He says, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? And he says, in tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Listen, God doesn't curse you. The earth is already cursed. What God has the ability to do is to preserve you and protect you from the curse. So here's what he says. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And I want to point out something. This word is really important. Because sometimes we talk about giving and we say giving. And that's fine. I think you know what we mean. But there is a nuanced thing here. And I'm, 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 I think every word in the Bible matters. So let me point this out to you. Notice he says, bring the whole tithe. He doesn't say give the whole tithe. He says, bring the whole tithe. And here's why. It's not yours anyway. It's not mine anyway. I can't give away what's mine. But I can bring something that belongs to someone else. So when you bring the tithe, you're not even really giving something back that's yours. You're bringing back what's his as an act of honor going, you entrusted me. Remember, stewardship versus ownership. You entrusted me. So I'm going to bring back to you what is yours to begin with. And the first fruit of what your increase is belongs to God. So your choice, honestly, my choice. The choice we have to make is, do I want to bring it or do I want to steal it? But that's the only choice that you have. God's not saying, give me something because I want you to give me something. He said, no, that's mine. You can honor me or you can not honor me. This is what the Bible says. Again, it's not my job to protect you from your Bible. It is my job to help you understand it. And he goes on to say, test me in this, says the Lord God Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, say blessing, that there will not be room enough to store it. There's the test. Test me in this. And notice the response. The response is not, oh, I walk away, I had $1,000, now I had 900 No, it's the blessing of God comes upon you so much 
that you will not be able to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your field will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord. And then all of the nations will call you blessed and yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord God Almighty. Listen to me. When you bring back the tithe, the first 10%, God protects the enemy from devouring your resources. That's what he says. Come, test me. And he says, test me in this. So you can just decide, I'll take you up or not. Here's the bottom line. Here's the bottom line, and we have to get this in our hearts, and I'm telling you, this is something that I had to come to myself because I wrestled with this because, man, it's hard. Your stuff, man, it's hard to part with. And then people tell you, well, that's not really for today. Oh, that sounds pretty good. I think I'll buy into that now because now I don't, have to, I don't have to give. God's not asking you to give. He's asking you to bring. And here's the deal. Here's the deal. God looks at the heart. Many people today still don't understand the tithe, and they, they still give because they're generous people. They give to a lot of things. I've done this for a lot, long, long time in my life. I would give as I wanted to. Right? God says, now, I need you to understand this. And once you understand it, you're accountable for it. So once you understand the tithe, you have to understand this, that a Christian, a follower of Jesus, that doesn't tithe, doesn't honor God. And it's because it's about honor of bringing. That's why I've made painstaking points to say it's not about paying money to some church. It's about bringing back to God what belongs to him in the first place. Listen, I'm a pastor. I love people. I know that this is tough. I know that it's a lot easier to just think, well, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna do this uh, for God and I'm gonna give here for God. And in fact, I'll just buy this for this, this ministry or for this church. And the whole time God's saying, ah, that's good, but you're still in charge. So there's some people that need to actually say, okay, God, you're in charge now. I'm gonna do what you've asked. I'm gonna bring this, not just give what I want when I want. There's some people, you tithe and you know it's the right thing to do. You understand stewardship. Here's what I'd say. Help, help out some people who don't, because this is difficult. It's a difficult thing to get. So share your stories. Here's what I also know. When you actually tithe and you bring, God will bless you. So share the stories of blessing that was in there too. All the earth will call you blessed. People will see it. Maybe you're new to faith and you're just learning. Listen, I want you to know, again, I realize that this is hard and it takes a little time to get it. And man, if you wanna sit down and have a coffee and wrestle about this, come see me in the guest suite, get my card. I will meet you at Starbucks and I'll buy your coffee. And we'll talk about more what it means to honor God with giving. Maybe you're a Christian, you've been a Christian for a while and you go, I don't have to honor God in that way. In fact, I disagree. That's not, honor, that's not what honor is all about at all. Same offer, come get my card. Let's get a coffee, let's talk. I'll hear you out and ask you to do the same. Because here's the thing, here's the thing. When we bring back to God what belonged to him anyway, his blessings will flow like a river back through your life to build his kingdom. And here's the deal. Jesus chooses to expand his church to the level that his people honor him. Say it one more time. Jesus chooses to expand his church to the level that his people honor him. Go ahead and bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Listen, if you and I are gonna live our lives God's ways and be a part of what he's doing, we have to put him first. Lord, today, I thank you, God, for these people. Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you that there are so many earnest people who do honor you and regularly bring back to you what's yours anyway. And I also understand those who struggle with it and maybe think, gosh, I don't know how I'm gonna fit that in and all of that. Lord, I pray that you would give them, Lord, a revelation, not just information today, but a revelation, God, that when we bring back to you the first fruits of our increase that came from you, or that we will have more than enough in the end. Lord, I thank you for your word that just teaches us so clearly, so clearly how good you are, that even in what gets sometimes 
mischaracterized as a church taking or people being twisted, have their arms twisted to give, or you are so painstaking in your word to say, no, no, this is about you honoring me so that I can bless you. And I pray today, Lord, for every person who's been choosing to honor you with the tithe, Lord, that you would open the storehouse of heaven and bless them so that they can be a blessing once more. Lord, those who are stewards and understand it, would you continue to bless them? And Lord, those who've operated from an ownership mentality instead of a stewardship uh, mentality, Lord, I pray that you would open their eyes, Lord, to see that you're a good God who gives good gifts. That you'd help them, Lord, to steward what you've placed in their hands, including their own lives. If there are people here today who haven't made that choice, I want to make space for you to do that right now. And I'm going to ask Dee to come and lead you through this moment before we close. Thank you for listening to this message. You can stay connected with us at Vintage.Church or on Facebook by searching Vintage Church TX. At Vintage, we believe church is more than a place or a weekend activity. It's a spiritual family where Jesus is the center of our lives personally and our relationships collectively. If you're in the Liberty Hill area, we would love to have you join us this week. You can learn more about us, our service time, and plan your visit by visiting vintage.church slash Liberty Hill. We hope to see you soon.